If you love Snapped, Women Who Murder, you're going to love listening to true crime or mystery titles on Audible. The audio title I'm diving into again is one of my favorites to revisit, Mindhunter by John Douglas and Mark Ulshaker. Even if you think you know the details of the cases, former FBI unit chief John Douglas took on from documentaries or the scripted show, the audio title goes above and beyond in bringing you along with him in his career, trying to catch serial killers and serial perpetrators. He used psychological profiling to dive into the minds of notorious criminals. The title includes his hunt for a killer in Alaska, the Green River Killer, and so much more. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. It is the home of storytelling after all. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash snapped or text snapped to 500-500. That's audible.com slash snapped or text snapped to 500-500. Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. They were a couple enjoying the prime of their lives on their farm out in the country. I do believe they were happy, very happy. He gave her as much as he could. Where that farm is, it's God's country, and he, he loved it up there. She did, too. But in these parts, people are known to disappear, sometimes intentionally and sometimes not. You get more concerned the more time it goes by. We wanted to know where they were. This is the Ozark Mountains, and they don't play, and they're not forgiving. I hollered out for my brother on a mountaintop, and it echoed. I said, I'm going to find you. I'm going to find you if this is the last thing I do. To unravel this mystery, investigators must delve into uncharted territory. They wanted to be anti-government. They wanted to get off the grid. They always carried a gun, kind of a survivalist-type mentality. The search for answers leads authorities into an epic showdown that no one in this tiny town could have ever imagined. It was crazy. It was like all the law enforcement of Arkansas descended on little old All Red Arkansas. There was hundreds of officers, there was hundreds of people there, and they were going to just have a war. When you start thinking about what they have versus what you have, you're kind of outgunned, so to speak. You can hear him on the radio yelling, I need help, I need help. I'll never forget that night as, as long as I live. Just horrible. March 22nd, 2004, All Red, Arkansas. Deep in the Ozark Mountains, the Van Buren County Sheriff's Department is working to unravel a mystery. The whereabouts of 46-year-old Ted Throneberry 
and his 45-year-old wife, Anne Throneberry. And at that point in time, they were just missing. You know, Ted and Anne were missing. The two-week-long search has led police to two men, Ted and Anne's neighbors. Problem is, these neighbors live off the grid in the middle of the woods, and they have criminal records. We knew that they had lots of guns up there. They were both felons, and there was a warrant for both of their arrests. Fearing the worst, local police have called in reinforcements. There was the Vimbrian County Sheriff's Office, the Arkansas State Police, the Arkansas Game and Fish, the FBI, FBI SWAT, ATF. The SWAT team moves in to surround the house on the mountain and wait till morning. Then, one SWAT member encounters some unexpected company. One of the SWAT team guys sees two males coming with rifles in their hands, and he's radioing, they're walking right towards me. He says, I'm gonna have to announce my presence. And he stands up and you hear him say, state police, drop your weapons. You're surrounded. And I think their response was, we only see you. And they start shooting. When we heard the shots, I think it was 80 rounds in about 15 or 20 seconds. That's about four shots per second. That's a lot of shooting. This sounds like a war. For local law enforcement, it all began two weeks earlier when a man named Mark Hill contacted them after he grew concerned about his friend and fellow union pipe fitter, Ted Throneberry. Ted had left a job site to return to his home and Mark never heard back from him. Ted was supposed to be back for the union meeting. Ted didn't make it. Mark was very persistent that his friend should have been back to work and that something was definitely wrong. That evening, detectives from the Van Buren County Sheriff's Office meet Mark at the farm Ted shares with his wife of 16 years, Anne Throneberry. The Throneberry property is, I think, around 100 acres or more. It's a pretty nice piece of land. It's out on a dirt road, kind of by itself. Mark and police walk around the house, but there is no sign of Ted or Anne. It was very out of character. If Ted was home, he was home. So just the fact that they were gone was very odd. I went out to the residence myself. We uh, checked the residence again, couldn't, could not find anybody. I remember just like the winds tickling the curtains and there was a faint smell of bleach coming from inside the house. When I smell it, it never, never crossed my mind where this case would take us. At this time, we didn't know where Ted and Ann were at. We're really not sure what's going on, other than we really feel like there's, there's some foul play. Ted Throneberry was born in 1957 and grew up in a close-knit family. Ted and I had a wonderful childhood. Our parents were loving. We were brought up with great morals and values. For Ted and his sister, Tressela, the wilderness in their home state was a natural playground. We did everything together. We went fishing, camping, hunting. He was an outdoor person, kind of a loner maybe at times. He didn't really talk a lot. 
After attending college at Louisiana Tech University, Ted sought a career that would allow him to work with his hands. He got a welding certificate, which added to his degree so he could be a union pipe fitter. Pipe fitter is a unique employment. They work on preparing different plants and factories and stuff. So they're, they're, they're gone all the time. While the money was good, life on the road made Ted the one thing he never thought he would be, lonely. There was a Christian magazine that he received. So he wrote an ad in this magazine. I guess that was pre, you know, Facebook times, Christian newspaper. It's the same kind of format, I suppose, just in print. Ted was looking for love, and it wasn't long before he got an answer. Her name was Ann Ryberg. He wrote Ann, and they started writing each other back and forth. Ann was born in 1958 and grew up in Massachusetts. Our mom and dad were hermits, so when we went to school, that was a challenge because we had no socialization. At 17, Anne's dad was ready for her to leave the nest. Dad sent her into the army, and she apparently went AWOL. Then they found out that she was a minor, so they excused her and discharged her. Over the next five years, Anne had a series of bad relationships, one of which resulted in a short-lived marriage. It was kind of one of them situations out of the frying pan into the fire. After her divorce, Anne began to seek guidance from a higher power. She was religious, but, you know, she got more serious about it as time progressed. It was her search for a good man that led Anne to Ted's ad in a Christian magazine, and she fell in love. And the next thing I know, he was up there marrying her. It was a small wedding in Massachusetts. They had a lot of the same interests. They both loved nature, they both loved animals. A lot of it for her was that he was stable. You know, he was a good guy, had a good job, could take care of her, so to speak. Soon after the wedding, the couple moved to Ted's home state of Arkansas. It was there, deep in the Ozark Mountains, that the couple finally found peace. 80-acre farm, Ted hated the city. He hated traffic, and where that farm is in Allred is out in the middle of nowhere. It's God's country, and he, he loved it up there, and did too. Anne loved their plants. She had an orchard. She had all kinds of animals. She enjoyed that. Anne also discovered she had another talent, the likes of which helped keep the couple above water during any lean years. She had a wood carving business. Anne's a world-class artist. She does wood carvings, and I mean, there's some pieces that she'd get multiple thousand dollars for, four or five thousand dollars. While Anne tended their homestead, Ted's work kept him on the road. Eventually, Ted hired two neighbors to help out around the farm. Ted had hired Mark Holsenbach and Bill Frazier to help with farm chores, cut brush, clean the fence rows, make the farm look good. Mark Holsenbach and Billy Frazier lived up the mountain. Their place was rustic, no electricity or running water, so they cut a deal with the throneberries. Mark and Billy would help on the farm while Ted was gone, and Ann would give him running water, let him take showers. 
The quid pro quo arrangement was good for both sides, and the Throneberry farm thrived. By 2004, it seemed the Throneberries had carved out their own Eden deep in the Arkansas mountains. Then, on March 8, 2004, an unsettling and unwanted development hits the town of Allred, Arkansas. Mark Hill called down to the sheriff's department and said, I can't get a hold of him, you know, something's wrong. And the sheriff's department went out to check on things. That night, Van Buren County deputies and detectives continue their search of the Throneberry's property. We were just walking down the road, shining our lights, and we saw a reflection of a taillight off of a vehicle. Ted had a 1995 Ford, and they found it down in the edge of the woods with brush covered over it. And so it was obvious whoever had been involved did not want the truck to show up. Coming up, fears mount about the couple's disappearance. My mind was just running rampant. Where is my brother? Is he dead or is he alive? Inside the house, we discovered Ted's wallet. There was blood noticed on one of the doors. On the evening of March 8, 2004, the search for Arkansas couple Ted and Ann Throneberry took an unsettling turn. While searching the couple's farm, investigators with the Van Buren County Sheriff's Department made an ominous discovery. When they went up and actually searched the property, they found Ted's truck. Something was very wrong. The truck was hid in some wooded area under a big uh, cedar tree, and had you not been looking for it, you would not have found it. At that point, we knew he had made it home. So that's when we really start trying to figure it out and locate him. And during this time, Ann Throneberry was also missing. With the mystery building by the minute, investigators sit with Mark Hill to try and flesh out more details about the couple's disappearance. According to Mark, he and Ted had been working at a job in Illinois for the past several months. In late February, Ted had told Mark Hill that he planned on making a trip back home to deliver some furniture that Ted had bought while he was in Illinois. He was going to be home Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday. And he was going to be traveling back Sunday night to be there Monday morning. Well, he didn't show up at Mark Hill's house, and he didn't show up at work Monday morning. Mark says it was two days ago that he called his friend's home phone number over and over. Eventually, someone picked up. Ann, I guess she finally answered the phone. According to Mark, Ann told him that she had temporarily relocated to a camper on another section of her property. Ted was remodeling their house, and he was using a lot of cedar to do the trim work, and that was making her sick. Now, just 48 hours after Mark Hill's phone call with Anne, the Throneberries are nowhere to be found. In light of Mark's statements, detectives decide to check out Anne's camper for clues. The camper was about a mile and a half away, so we started down there. 
There was nothing in the camper that, that was significant. It looked like someone had been there maybe recently, just because it wasn't taken over by varmints. With the camper turning up no leads, police shift their focus to Ted's house. The house, as I remember, was not in disarray. It wasn't torn up. It was neat and orderly. There's no obvious signs of a struggle or foul play. An odor, however, hangs in the air. The windows were open and you could smell bleach on the inside of the house. Inside the house, we discovered Ted's wallet. They found his driver's license and a payroll check. We knew he'd made it home because all his personal things that you carry in your pocket are now in the house on the dresser. Ann Thronberry's purse was actually inside the house that indicated that Ann either left in a hurry or was taken in a hurry, one of the two. Investigators soon find another clue, and this one doesn't bode well for the couple's welfare. There was blood noticed on one of the doors. Luminol will illuminate the protein in the blood. We attempted that, but under the light, things looked wiped down. You could tell that you could almost see white marks. To investigators, the scene has a story to tell, and it's not a good one. When you've got blood, you've got open windows, you've got Ted's truck hidden behind the house, I mean, that, that's, that's obvious to us that something had happened. Outside the home, police widen their search. Nothing seemed disturbed. The ground wasn't broken up. There was no fresh graves, nothing to indicate the disappearance of these people. But then dogs are brought in to help discover anything that we may not see. They had multiple canine units. They had cadaver dogs. They had bloodhounds. The dogs and their handlers go to work, searching the expansive property. When the cadaver dogs are on a trail and they, they alert, then we know that we possibly have some evidence and possibly a, a homicide. On March 13th, the dogs hit on a spot. They found that dogs have sniffed something, and we were like, oh my god, oh my god. We got a backhoe, and we'd done some digging in an area that we were told that the dog indicated. And then when we found out that there was nothing there, it was just another letdown. With the investigation at an impasse, detectives continue their search into the treacherous mountains surrounding the property. You're walking in some of the roughest country you can imagine. This is the Ozark Mountains, and they don't play, and they're not forgiving. The first of it was just looking the area, driving the roads, talking to neighbors, seeing if anybody's seen them. One neighbor that's relatively close, the other neighbors are spread out. Detectives ask neighbors if they had seen anyone around the Throneberry's property. The neighbors witnessed Billy Frazier, Mark Holsenbach, at the Throneberry residence. They would see them interact with Ted some, and when Ted would leave, they would see Mark and or Billy at the farm. Neighbors say Billy Frazier and Mark Holsenbach's presence wasn't unusual since Ted had hired the two men to work the farm. They had an 80-acre farm. You've always got stuff that needs to be done. So when these guys moved right down the road, it was kind of a godsend for Ted. Neighbors say Mark and Billy seemed like good guys, but they were a little odd. They were definitely characters. I definitely got the sense that they moved up there to escape whatever they were dealing with 
they wanted to make a new start in life. So they moved up to the mountains. They bought a piece of property that the logging company had sold because it was too rough. There was no house, they had no source of water, so they literally camped up there for months. And apparently, they weren't alone. They also shared the property with Mark's wife, Jerry Pardon. And they built a little cabin that was so small you couldn't stand up in it, about a 12 by 12 little log cabin. And, you know, it was like something you'd see in pioneer days. Eccentricities aside, Mark and Billy stood out for another reason. First time I met them, I was curious, you know, who are these guys, you know, and why Mark and Bill were carrying AK-47s. They always carried a gun, kind of a survivalist type mentality. And according to their neighbor, Mark and Billy were the last people he saw with Anne prior to her and Ted's disappearance. Right away, that was put up a red flag. Coming up, police head up the mountain seeking answers. Once we got to the top of the hill, it's probably one of the most eerie feelings that I've had in my life. But are they walking towards the truth or straight into an ambush? We're 30 minutes from town. We have nothing. If something happens, it's us, that's it. They had fortifications all over the property where they could hide behind and they were prepared for anything. As a SNAP listener, you know the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every case I learn about, I'm reminded how much I want to prioritize my vigilance and preparation. That's why I use and recommend Simply Safe Home Security. My cameras have alerted me about trespassers and even given me a sense of security knowing my home is safe even when I'm not there. Simply Safe offers protection for the whole house with advanced sensors that not only detect break-ins, but fires, floods, and other threats to your home and getting you the help you need for each scenario. The indoor security cameras offer privacy shutters to ensure physical privacy when you want it. Plus, you can try Simply Safe for 60 days risk-free. If you don't love it, return your system for a full refund. Simply Safe has given me and many of my listeners real peace of mind. I want you to have it too. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com/snapped. That's simplysafe.com/snapped. There's no safe like Simply Safe. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code AUDIO to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code AUDIO at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code AUDIO. Deep in the Ozark Mountains, the search continues for missing Arkansas couple Ted and Ann Throneberry. Detectives fear the worst, but without more conclusive evidence, police still don't know what happened to the couple. For the Van Buren County Sheriff's Department, the focus of their investigation is now on the Throneberry's two hired farmhands, 49-year-old Mark Holsenbach and 28-year-old Billy Frazier. They had a cabin up on a mountain that was away from everyone else. They wanted to be anti-government. They wanted to get off the grid. 
It was told to us that Hosenbach believed that there was going to be an economic collapse and that he was stockpiling ammunition, guns, food. When detectives continue to dive deeper into Mark and Billy's backgrounds, they uncover a huge bombshell. We found out both Holzenbach and Frazier had previous criminal histories. They were on, on the run from the law from Louisiana. They were both felons. They are unable to possess firearms. So an arrest warrant was obtained to get them taken into custody. Sheriff's deputies and investigators head into the woods and up the mountain looking for Mark and Billy. Their cabin was up on a flat, a little ridge, a shelf is what I call it. Wasn't even a road to it. You had to walk up the hill to get to it. Once we got to the top of the hill, that's probably one of the most eerie feelings that I've had in my life in law enforcement that I never will forget. The cabin and surrounding compound is fortified and ready for war. They had fortifications all over the property where they could hide behind and they were prepared for anything that might have come up. In rural law enforcement, you're not gonna have a hospital five minutes away. You're not gonna have 10 fellow officers to back you up if something happens. Where are it? Officers are cautious as they approach. We start to yell to see if anyone's home because you don't want to walk up to the house and be ambushed. Someone comes out of the house slowly. It's Jerry Pardon, Mark's wife. Jerry's talking to us. At that point in time, you know, my heart rate's going down. I'm like, OK, we don't have people coming out of the woods shooting at us right now. Officers explain they have a warrant for Mark and Billy. She tells us that they've not been around for a few days. We leave a card, left a number, and we need to talk to Billy and Mark, call us uh, if they show back up. Billy's nowhere to be found. Mark's nowhere to be found. Ted and Ann, the same fate. There's a bunch of different scenarios you can run in your mind at that point in time with four missing people. Over the next few days, the search for Ted and Ann Throneberry intensifies. The Sheriff's Department had set that up as a command center. They had camper trailers pulled up and set up. I mean, it was a big, huge ordeal. I hollered out for my brother on a mountaintop, and it echoed. I said, I'm going to find you. I'm going to find you if this is the last thing I do. With so many questions remaining, investigators are desperate for a break in the case. We don't know specifically what's happened. We don't know if Ted and Ann left. We don't know if someone took them, and we're trying to get answers. On March 14, 2004, an unexpected call comes into the Sheriff's Department from Jerry Pardon, Mark Holsenbach's wife. Jerry appears to have had a change of heart, and she begins to open up about what's really been going on up on the mountain. Mark and Jerry got together, and they bought the property in Allred. They knew it was secluded, knew it was rural. That's what they wanted. Well, I think Jerry took care of them. I think she was the cash cow, and that's where they got most of their money. But it seems Jerry's generosity wasn't always reciprocated. There were rumors that her husband, Mark, was spending more time at the Throneberry's home than his own. Mark was staying down at that house while Ted was gone. The allegations of, of an affair, when people see the husband that's gone and they see a man at a farm, people speculate. Jerry was very upset. So it's all starting to kind of come together. Now we're thinking, well, Ann may not be a victim. 
she may be with them of her own free will. Police realize there's also another possibility. If Anne had somehow tried to end this purported affair, maybe her lover lashed out in violence. We knew at this point in time about all these guns and their criminal history. Jerry confirms that both men are heavily armed. They had planned on fighting with authorities if we came, and they had the property set up for that. They were on the run from the law. They came to a remote part of Arkansas and stockpiled supplies. They buried it, they hid it, guns, food, ammunitions. I believe that was one of the statements that Jerry may have made, that they had planned on having a shootout. They would not be taken alive. The Sheriff's Department knows it needs reinforcements. We knew that they had lots of guns up there. We call the ATF SWAT team. We call the FBI SWAT team and the state police SWAT team. We've got agents from all those agencies coming. It was like all the law enforcement of Arkansas descended on little old All Red Arkansas. It was the biggest thing that ever happened up there. On March 22nd, 2004, everyone gathers at the command center for a briefing. At this point in time, we don't know what we've got, but we've got two guys. We know they're armed, and we know that we've got to contact them. The gravity of the situation isn't lost on anyone. If Ted's gone and Ann's gone, what do they have to lose? The state police, they deploy their SWAT team. They went in under the cover of darkness. We were set up to go waiting for daylight. We're listening, and during that time, apparently one of the SWAT team guys had gotten a little too far down the hill. We're sitting there, the sheriff comes back and says, they've got people, they see flashlights. Arkansas State Trooper Charlie Edmondson finds himself alone and exposed. We hear, I've got two coming, I'm right in the trail, I'm gonna have to announce. State police, both of them have rifles. Both of them are walking up from the dwelling. Officer Edmondson tells the men to put down their weapons and informs them that they're surrounded. Wholesome Box says, you're the only one we see. And from that point, Wholesome Box starts shooting. Coming up, the mountain erupts in gunfire. He goes, I need you guys to start shooting. Let them know I'm not here by myself and law enforcement sweeps in to trap their prey. We just made a giant hook. We were trying to shut off that exit. long search for Ted and Anne Throneberry has led investigators to a ramshackle cabin in the middle of the Ozark Mountains. So at this point, we call in all the help that we can get. And we're all fanned out going through there thinking they could be behind the next tree. Investigators still don't know if the Throneberries are alive or dead, but they have zeroed in on their two hired farmhands, 28-year-old Billy Frazier and 49-year-old Mark Holsenbach. Now, Arkansas State Trooper Charlie Edmondson is caught in a gun battle with Mark and Billy Frazier, and the situation is dire. You can hear him on the radio yelling, I need help, they're flanking me, while they were firing at him. 
Charlie gets hit, one round hits Charlie in the arm, and one hits the actual barrel of Charlie's rifle, fragments, and hits him in the mouth and in the tongue. Charlie calls out on the radio for help. He goes, I need you guys to start shooting. Let them know I'm not here by myself. And about that time, all the other, the, the SWAT team starts shooting their weapons, and it sounds like a war. As the team lays down cover fire, officers eventually reach Charlie and get him to safety. And I remember Charlie walking out under his own power, shot in the arm, shot in the face. I just remember a look of, you know, just business on Charlie's face. Officers and SWAT team members push towards the mountain compound, trying to trap Mark and Billy from escaping. The entry team, everyone converges on the dwelling. We had them held up in the house at that point. One of the investigators there that I worked with looked at me and he said, it's over. And I'm like, they're in there, we've caught them, it's a done deal. State police fire tear gas into the cabin. I remember seeing it pour out and thinking, you know, this over with. But there's no sound from inside, no surrender from Mark and Billy. the state police tact team that went in and cleared it, and they weren't in there. At that point in time, I'm wondering, what's happened? Somehow, surrounded by a large team of law enforcement officers, Mark Holsenbach and Billy Frazier had slipped through their line and escaped. You've got the best of the best out there, but you've got cover of darkness, you've got unknown territory, and that's just, that was the advantage that Mark and Billy had. They knew every rock on the place. That was their living room. Investigators begin a search of the cabin and surrounding compound. This cabin was a dwelling to keep the water off your head, to keep you out of the elements, that's it. There was three cots. There was a couple of wooden boxes that were you could use for chairs. Hidden around the property, police discover caches of guns and ammunition. They had places where they hid guns. They had guns stashed in different places. So if they got into a fight, they had the property set up for that. I remember loosely tallying up about 18,000 rounds of ammunition, shotgun shells, AK rounds, all packed in uh, Ziploc bags. What investigators don't find, however, is any sign of Ted and Ann Throneberry. They didn't even say they were dead because they didn't have any evidence. Over the next 48 hours, the manhunt intensifies and fears mount. Everybody was fearful. It was just eating up the local coverage uh, at 6 and 10. And with miles of mountainous terrain in every direction, police know their ex-cons could be anywhere. It's an eerie feeling walking through the woods looking for someone like that. We didn't know if someone else would be shot or not. We're conducting searches through the woods trying to locate them. We have a helicopter in the air at night, especially trying to pick up the heat, what you know, the heat signal so that we can locate them, which we're having trouble doing so. We can't, we, we're not finding them. More than a week passes and the search for Mark and Billy continues. At this point, the best assumption is that Ted and Ann Throneberry are no longer alive. Because of the situation with the armed neighbors, it didn't look promising. I didn't figure that they could have held them captive and escaped. I figured they were probably both dead and they just hadn't found the bodies. 
It looked like a double homicide by two convicted felons on the run from Louisiana. Then, on April 2nd, 2004, one of the largest manhunts in state history ends with a phone call from a local resident. The guy called the police. He said, there's two strange characters down here near my house that are really hungry. And they left and walked down the highway, and that's when they were picked up by the police. When police catch up to them, they are taken aback to find it's not Mark and Billy walking together. It's Mark Holsenbach and Anne Throneberry. When they found Anne, I was in shock, literally. I think I almost fainted. It, it was major shock. Mark and uh, Ann looked rough. They had ticks and chiggers and cuts on their legs and things from traveling through the woods. They're eating berries and roots, and they had nothing to, to survive on. I'm thinking, OK, why is Ann with Mark? Where is my brother at? I was relieved that they had found them because this would supply answers. With so many questions left to be answered, police act quickly. The state police were there to serve the arrest warrant for Mark. This time, Mark peacefully surrenders, and he and Anne are both taken to the Van Buren County Sheriff's Department for further questioning. The next day, authorities arrest Billy Frazier. He came into a gas station and was recognized and surrendered. Soon after, the two men, along with Ann Throneberry, are interviewed at the Van Buren County Sheriff's Department. I was extremely happy that she was alive and excited, and I thought that she would be released, you know, immediately. We've got three people accounted for, but we don't have the fourth. You don't want to assume anyone's dead. You want to stay strong, but you can't ignore things that become apparent. Coming up. Shocking interrogations reveal what really happened to Ted. I don't remember which one decided to talk first, but I do remember them describing what they had done. And another twist is revealed. Dan did not say, I've been kidnapped, my husband's murdered. After weeks of combing through the Ozark National Forest, detectives have finally apprehended suspected killers Mark Holsenbach and Billy Frazier, along with missing person Anne Throneberry. But the question still remains, where is Ted Throneberry and who is responsible for his disappearance? During their interrogations, the two ex-cons soon confirm everyone's worst fears. I don't remember which one decided to talk first, but I do remember them describing what they had done to Ted. Ted came home that evening. Um, when he entered the door, Mark and Billy were waiting. And they jumped him there and beat him there pretty good duct taped him to his recliner. They took his clothes off of him. He was freezing. They tortured him. 
To this day, I don't know which one exactly swung the sledgehammer, but one of them picked the sledgehammer up and beat him until he was dead. They took him out and put him in a blue 55-gallon drum, filled it full of diesel and piled wood around it and burned him. Ted's remains was scooped up in the bucket of the tractor, driven just down the property, and his remains were scattered in that food plot. Investigators hope Anne can help them fill in the details, but when they try to talk to her, she clams up. Anne did not say, I've been kidnapped, my husband's murdered. She didn't say anything for a long time. Anne's reticence to talk strikes investigators as odd, especially if she's innocent. Now we're thinking, well, Anne's probably with them. In the coming days and weeks, investigators begin to look more closely at the timeline leading up to Ted's murder. Ted spoke to Anne, and he told her that he had planned on coming up. And I believe it was the next day that, that Anne went to Walmart. Investigators obtain receipts of Anne's purchases from that night. One was bleach, many rolls of paper towels, but I also noticed that there was rubber gloves, size large and size extra large. So it became clear to me, you got the bleach, you got the paper towels, and you got two sizes of rubber gloves. That indicates to me that she bought two sizes for at least one more person. But why might Anne have wanted her husband dead? Months ahead of this, she was emailing me, and she was talking to me about my brother, telling me how bad he was to her and all this. She spoke of how Ted had started drinking, drinking heavily, flashing out in anger. You know, that's Anne's side of it. They were probably just both at each other. But she knew that she was having an affair, so she made Ted out to look like a bad guy when really she was the bad person. I said, if you're not happy, then you divorce him. But such an event could well have cost Anne the very thing she most cherished, her farm. I think maybe she felt so entitled to that land and that property that if, in fact, she and Ted divorced, she would lose it. Like Mark Holsenbach and Billy Frazier, on April 5th, 2004, Anne Throneberry is charged on multiple counts. Anne Throneberry was charged with capital murder, hindering apprehension, and kidnapping. On November 4th, 2005, Mark Holsenbach is tried, convicted, and sentenced to life in prison. His fellow co-conspirator, Billy Frazier, is tried next. Billy Frazier was convicted of criminal attempt to commit capital murder, first-degree murder, kidnapping, and aggravated robbery. And Billy received a sentence of 30 years with a negotiated plea. On January 8, 2007, Anne Throneberry's trial gets underway inside a Van Buren County, Arkansas courtroom. The prosecution asserted that Anne's motive would be by killing Ted, she would then have the entire farm to herself, and she would have her boyfriend there to help her. But Anne's attorney argues the only people responsible for this crime have already been convicted, and to prove it, his client's willing to take the stand. I had no qualms about putting Anne on the stand and letting her tell her story. According to Anne, 
there was never a romantic relationship between her and Mark. No one ever took credit for the affair. Now, Mark may have alluded to it a little and denied it. Anne also denied having any prior knowledge of the murder plot. From her perspective, she came up from the camper where she was staying and got the Mark Hill phone call. She didn't know that anything had happened to Ted. As to what happened afterwards, Anne says that her purported relationship with Mark Holsenbach had nothing to do with consent. Mark became physically aggressive towards Anne to the point that he raped her. Anne claims Mark Holsenbach's assaults went on for several months and that he and Billy Frazier, two heavily armed survivalists, had forced her to flee into the mountains with them following Ted's killing. I mean, what do you do? You're on the mountain with two monsters that are killers and you're the lady. What do you do? I guess you do what they tell you to do. However, prosecutors believe Anne did have a choice in what happened, and they have the evidence to prove it. She told them Ted was coming home. It's obvious that she bought gloves and bleach. It's obvious she bought paper towels. So I think she was in on that plan. The question now is whose version of events would jurors believe? On January 26, 2007, Anne Throneberry's verdict is announced. She was convicted of manslaughter, kidnapping, and hindering apprehension. Anne is sentenced to 28 years in prison. I think her sentence should have been either life without parole as Mark's or death, because without her, none of this could have happened. I could not believe it, because I know her character. I know she's incapable of that. She does nothing but good to those around her, and I was mortified. Even now, more than a decade later, Ted Throneberry's death still stirs up deep emotions. But when his family walks in these rugged hills that Ted loved so much, they still feel his presence. Every single day of my life, I think of my brother. He loved nature, he loved his property, he loved the beauty and the seclusion, and he truly loved being married. I want him to be remembered as a great human being. Mark Holsenbach is currently serving a life sentence at a maximum security prison in Gould, Arkansas. William Billy Frazier is also incarcerated in Arkansas. He has a tentative release date of April 1st, 2025. Anne Thornberry became eligible for parole in June 2015, but has since been denied. She remains incarcerated in Wrightsville, Arkansas. For more information on Snapped, go to Oxygen.com. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. 
Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.